Boom, put boom, 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 well, welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. It's been the fourth, and I am um not gonna lie, Adam. I'm exhausted because, well, you have a dog, so you understand fireworks and dogs don't mix. And yeah, um mind... I got I, I got a weird dog. Oh, she likes the fireworks? Like she doesn't like them, but she doesn't she like doesn't freak out. So well, you know my... Go ahead. She goes out like she winds to go outside so she could see that. Oh, wow. No, mine don't want to go outside at all. And that was the problem because the fireworks were going off until all hours of the morning and yeah. they refuse to go out, which, of course, you know, you can't have a dog that doesn't go to the bathroom. Um, yeah. So it's I gonna had happen to. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So I had to. I set my alarm to get up in the middle of the night to take them out. I woke up before my alarm because I was afraid I was going to sleep through my alarm. Um, I get up. Of course, there's still a little spats here and there. But I get outside and there's shoes in the middle of the parking lot. So, of course, I'm like, wait, is somebody, um, is this a trap? Is somebody going to be like, ah, you know, if I go to like move these shoes or whatever. So I did take a picture. I should send it to you. But they're just, they're like brand new shoes just in the middle of the parking lot. Like somebody got blown out of their shoes or something. That's a horrible joke. But like legit, it's like they just left their shoes. Hmm. But then, um, and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And so then I had to wake up at, you know, 4.30. And so I am very tired today. Well, it was, it was very windy here in the Twin Cities. So I think that, suppressed the fireworks so they were they were not nearly as bad as they have been and i was all prepared for it. like i love that my apartment has the windows on two sides and i face you know west and south and i can see downtown minneapolis like off in the distance and so in, on previous fourth of july's i've been able to see like two or three like just over the top of the trees nothing like crazy because they're far away but seeing the fireworks and then the neighborhood i i live in a area that is I could not afford to buy a house in. So uh, the there are a lot of people with disposable income nearby and they've historically set off a lot of fireworks, but mm -hmm. it really wasn't that bad. And it was it was so rare that like when a firework would go off, Lorelai, my pup, would go to the door and be like, okay, let's go check out what, what happened outside. She'd whine a little bit. We'd have to go out on the porch and then look around so she could see, you know, just make sure everything was okay. But I have the only dog, like, Couple couple uh, summers ago, I wasn't thinking, and we went for a walk at like dusk, and we went for this long walk, and we get we're like a mile and a half from the house, and there are block parties where people are setting up like their lawn chairs in the street and setting off fireworks and sparklers and Roman candles, and my dog is like not even paying attention. She's like sniffing leaves and peeing on everything like it's a normal walk, and it's like literally like, you know remnants of Fallujah in mean, early 2000s <laughs> bombs going off left and right and she's like what up so I guess maybe like deep down she could have she should have been like a, a bomb sniffing dog because she would have been like ah, hey guys there's there's a bomb here I'm not all that worried yeah no mine were like uh get me out of here ASAP I'm not going out there they they were better this year they weren't as like um traumatized they weren't like shaking because in the years past yeah. they'd be like shaking and it just was like oh man like you feel so bad but this year they're it's, just it's like, hard oh, to no. do anything for them you know yeah you, you could hold them and you can tell them it's going to be okay but it's like at some point they're also like yeah person you need you should be scared too because the world is exploding right so if i like drift off and squirrel out or something i truly apologize now because well, it's just that i'm tired if at one point in the podcast we realize that adam just keeps talking and brooke doesn't respond we'll know what happened <laughs> right <laughs> it just cuts off because our time has run out that's why yeah. so. and that's it <laughs> the, the end abrupt stop <laughs> there's no outro matter of fact we might as well do it now just in case <laughs> yeah we'll just, just drop drop the uh the website and everything a side b side podcast that's great site. check us out like follow us like subscribe all the merch is on there uh, all of the links to both the a side and the b side if we get them today will be on the <laughs> website 
Oh man. Um, so did you do? Did you do the the full like barbecue, like wearing the flag t shirts? And... No, no. no, um, no. I had a very low key weekend. I didn't have to work, which was fantastic. Thank you, um, to boss lady. Um, didn't have to work, so I was like, my schedule was completely off, out of whack because I'm like up until like three in the morning and then sleeping until like 10 o'clock and then it was just all over the place it's never good when I go on vacation or like have some days off because then my schedule is completely I mean it's good for me don't get me wrong but like I'm not just your typical morning person I'm not like I have adjusted you've trained yourself to be right but you've made the the choice I typically like to stay up late and watch tv or do whatever and so then of course when I have days off that's what I'm doing so, so I'm up until like three o'clock in the morning and then I'm right. sleeping in until like 10 or whatever. So, and then, you know, just, you're like, oh, I don't have to go anywhere. I'll sit outside like, for a little bit and then I'm going to get sleepy and then I'll take a nap and then maybe I'll sit outside again. It becomes a bizarre world where you're just, you're up the opposite hours. You Yeah. Um, I did watch a couple of shows I wanted to tell you about um, mm-hmm. on Apple. Uh, Idris Elba has a new show called Hijack. It's only two episodes in. And so far, it's really good. He's like a negotiator, like a top negotiator, and his plane gets hijacked. Oh, okay. That's what we know so far. And this is on Um, Apple Plus. uh Uh-huh. And then, um, oh, goodness, there was another one I wanted to write. I was like, I need to write this down so I can remember to tell Adam. And oh, I it's told to... in real time. That's cool. Yes. Oh, I like that. But what was the other show? Now I can't think of it. Of course I can't. Oh, The Bear. The Bear season yeah, I, two. I've heard really good things. I still haven't watched season one. And as somebody who works in the restaurant industry, it's one of my jobs that it feels like it's required watching and I just haven't done it. I, it's that's also what I was because, like, say, like, and I, I was even saying the same thing to my daughter, like, and it maybe is because you work in the restaurant industry. You're like, ah, yeah, I'm around it enough. But exactly. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Like the people that that I know who have watched it have said who work in the service industry are like, it's hard because it kind of feels like I'm back at work when I come home. That's mm-hmm. not what I want to feel. Mm-hmm. But it's also like it's it does a good job of like showing you some of the stressors and. And and kind of there are things you know. It, granted, it's it's Hollywood, so they're going to take some liberties, right? But I mean, you know, the 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 scariest thing about the movie Waiting with Ryan Reynolds and uh, former A side uh, subject uh, who was on Bones and who wrote the new Dungeons and Dragons movie, whose name oh, I should um, really remember. I was just going to say it's he Neil, was on but Freaks it's not and Neil. Geek. Um, come yeah, on, Adam. Next. It's gonna come to me in like he played an hour. Sweets, I know. Yeah, saying. I played Sweets on on Bones. He he wrote the new. He was on Freaks and Geeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, this is gonna drive me nuts. Lance, I'm gonna just look it up now because Lance, Lance Lance Sweets was his character. Yeah, that's not who we're looking for. Okay, hold on, hold on. John Francis Daly. There, there we, we go. go. John Francis Daly. Uh, where I was even going with that. Oh, that waiting. Uh, waiting, people think that it's over the top, and there are some over the top moments, mm-hmm. but it's really not that different. Like the putting stuff in people's food does not happen nearly as much as they made it seem. Mm-hmm. But like everything else in that movie is pretty spot on, especially like the 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 waiter and waitress is one who like comes into the back room and just like is swearing at everybody and ticked off and immediately at, at the walk out the door like super sweet face uh smiles and everybody loves them uh there's definitely is that front there front of house you're like on stage off stage feel to it mm-hmm. uh but yeah I, the bear from what i've heard is not like doesn't there are some stuff that doesn't happen in every restaurant but there is also stuff that happens in every kitchen right and with every restaurant that they do a really good job of. so i i need i need that's on my list of one of a billion things to watch uh i'm watching the new uh marvel secret invasion how is that meh I've heard some meh, that's what i was gonna say i've heard some pretty meh things about it like 
we're 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 three episodes in, and really the only like I I they're trying to do this like tense spy thriller thing, but now they've almost gone too far where they're like, you got to be worried because anyone could die. Now we're like, well, you killed a bunch of people, so we're like not worried anymore because we just we're kind of numb to it. You keep just randomly killing people, and like, is it? Like there has to be something else that shocks them. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm trying to hold out judgment, uh, but it is certainly when I look at like the the Marvel series that have come out in the last you know two three years that since they went to Disney Plus, it is not my favorite. And I mean, it used to be like on Wednesdays, I would we would do the podcast and I would wait to watch the new Marvel series because it always came out on Wednesday. Like I saw that. Uh, Hijack has a new episode today. Have you already watched today's episode? No, not yet. Okay, so they come out on Wednesdays as well. Many of the Star Wars stuff comes out on Wednesdays, and I would like save it as like a, as a treat. After after the podcast was done, after my day of work was done, it was going to be my end of day thing. And like the last couple of times, I'm like, oh, it's been Thursday morning. I was like, oh, I didn't see episode two. It's okay, whatever. I'll see it in a little bit. Or like today I watched episode three because I was I was making lunch mm-hmm. just to have it on, but it was like I wasn't that engaged. It's it, it kind of reminds me of the last couple of movies where yeah. it just it like Guardians of the Galaxy was really good. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was really good because it just told its own story and its own thing. Ant-Man was okay, but it felt like okay, we're that and the multiverse of madness were trying so hard to be part of the bigger story. And I know that this, this series sets up like the next two years of Marvel stuff. And it just, it's not, it's not really drawing me. So, and it's, it's so weird because Samuel L. Jackson as Nick, Nick Fury has been so good in so many movies. And this is a very different take on the character. And it, they're dealing with a lot of, they're being very, you know, serious about dealing with like how people are adjusting to this major world event, you know, the, mm-hmm. the blip that happened and how everybody came back. I mean, it would, I mean, the only thing I can even remotely compare it to is like if all of a sudden everyone who died of COVID just showed up, but that was like what, like, two percent of the population not 50 percent. right right you know so it's understandably that this would be a major like moment and change people but it's just like there's so many good people in it but then also i've got i got mad at the first episode because it did two things that i was afraid it was going to do in the first episode to to like prove its point and I did not like it. So it's probably put a bad taste in my mouth since the very first episode. And if you've seen that, if you've seen them, I'm trying to avoid spoilers by not using words that are descriptive in any way, shape, or form. But there are some things that happened in the first episode that I was afraid were gonna happen, that I'm very upset happened. And I they have that's probably gonna impact my enjoyment of the series. There's only three episodes left. And I'm kind of in that spot where I was with with She-Hulk. And with uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier one, where it's like, all right, we got to get going here because nothing's really grabbing me so far. Like with with Loki and with uh, the, the Scarlet Witch and Vision series and Moon Knight, I would, you know, by this point, I was I was it. I mean, even with with Miss Marvel, who I wasn't a character I was very familiar with, by the third episode, I was like, okay. But this one, I'm like, I don't. It, they're it feels like a series that is going to be that's setting up everything so you're not going to really get anything from it. Yeah. Like it's just going to it's just going to cause you to ask a lot of questions and it's going to be like and these questions will be answered in you know Armor Wars or the Marvels or like something else. This is like like reading the the syllabus at the beginning of the class. Doesn't really no, tell you there was here's a the time things where we're I would not about. miss a Marvel movie. Like would not like was there yeah opening weekend if not opening night and now i'm just like 
Well, same with Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is just there's so much stuff out there between the between the series and the books and the movies, and now the same thing is is starting to happen with uh, like Lord of the Rings stuff and Harry Potter stuff, and it's just at some point you can have too much of a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think we got there with Game of Thrones by the end, where people were just like, eh, and now we got another Game of Thrones series that I kind of forgot even existed. Which I haven't watched any of, but because I think the only thing I don't subscribe to is HBO or Max, <laughs> as it's called. But I probably do. I just don't realize it. I thought you did. You would be... I thought you watched The Last of Us. Well, I did then, but I thought I thought it was on a trial basis. But I don't know if my trial expired and I'm just paying for it. I'm knowing you. Your trial expired and you're still paying yeah. for it. You should be very proud of me, though. I canceled something. What is that? Uh, evidently, I had a Kindle Unlimited subscription. Oh, okay. Uh, which I didn't know I had, but uh, I canceled it. Well, uh, I have had the Kindle Unlimited uh, in an embarrassingly long time. Think, think of an embarrassingly long time to have a subscription you did not know you had that was charging you ten ninety nine a month, and then probably triple it. So several years. Multiple years. Yes, mm. I, th- I think I think we're. I, I have to go look, but I think we're past five. Wow. I think I remember when I got it. Now that I that I figured out the one of the kids was reading like a comic on the Kindle that was free, and they wanted this next issue, and so I signed up for the free trial to get the next issue because they're reading it on the on the pad. We were like a trip and i just didn't cancel it Hmm. yeah wow like many things in my life no one else's fault but my own well all righty not that not that admitting that makes it any less you know a waste of money but you know at least i finally figured it out (laughs) but also they don't make it easy like you gotta like google how to how to cancel your kindle unlimited subscription because you can't do it in the app you have to do it on a desktop on the Amazon webpage, and you have to Google and find their like how to, and then you get to the, find the click button. Then when you find the click button, it's one click. But finding it is the real challenge. Yeah, and who's actually going on Amazon on their desktop anyway these days? I mean, they do the same. Like they make it hard with subscribe and save to change your subscriptions unless you're on the desktop side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like you can get Netflix. A... You have to be on the desktop as well. Yeah. And and I they they build it in, it makes sense. I mean, I gotta I gotta get rid of my Audible subscription, but the the reason that they they get you is they're like, well, if you cancel, you'll lose these twelve credits. And my brain goes, well, I can't lose those twelve credits. But the thing is, when you don't use them, they expire anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm not using them, so I'm not really losing anything. So I might as well just go so, ahead and get rid of it. Yeah. So like, I need to like. Marie Kondo, my subscription life. Is this bringing me joy? No, I should cancel the subscription. <laughs> Not because of perceived value. Hmm. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Double check your subscription. The, the fact that there's an, even a cottage industry of apps that will check your subscriptions for you and unsubscribe you. I know. Like there, there are more than one app that does that or websites or services. You're like, this is an epidemic. That is way out of control. Fortunately, all mine go through PayPal, so I get a notification. Yeah, well, this was going. That's the only reason I found it out today is because I wasn't expecting. Like, I looked at my bank account and I was expecting some bills to come out. I looked, I saw that one, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> then, I, then I was it like, has "Oh, just eluded you all these other years." Yeah, because all of my disposable income, I'm just like, whatever. And then I was like, well, maybe if I cancel it right today, they'll give me the money back because I haven't used it. And I'm like, but I haven't used it for like, I don't know how many years. So maybe they'll give me a bunch of money back. But they're like, they're not good news. You still have your subscription until August 2nd. I was like, but I don't (laughs) want it until August 2nd. Can I have the 1099 back? Can I just get my money back? No, you can't. So just use it. And then hopefully you'll really remember why you had it to begin with. And then you'll decide that you want to keep it. Oh, I've already gotten two emails being like, come back. You'll get a full, a free month if you resubscribe today. I was like, I unsubscribed like five minutes ago. 
Right. Like, let me at least have some, you know, seller's remorse. Give me a full 24 hours to, like, regret it before you're like, I mean, and welcome or, back. Or, or they know me well enough that they're like, all this guy needs is perceived value that he won't ever use. So let, let's tell him he gets a free month. And he's like, you won't have to pay until September 2nd. And I'm like, I could have a whole summer of Kindle Unlimited <laughs> that I won't use. That I won't use at all. Anyway, if the, the thing is, if Kindle Unlimited had Murder, She Wrote on it. Actually, I should have checked that before I canceled Maybe there are Murder, She Wrote books that I haven't checked out. No, let it go. Uh, let it go. What 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 I did on, I did two things on July 4th because I had my fun last week, visited the folks at the lake, had a great time. The, the lake was not as crowded as it was this week and this weekend because everybody comes out of the, for the holiday. Uh, and so I was at home. I wanted to work. Work was closed. I volunteered to work. They're like, that's great, but we're still closed. So stop volunteering. Uh, <laughs> I did two things. I decided I had a new tradition that I'm going to try to do every July 4th. And I watched two seasons because I did the same thing where like I didn't have to work. So I just sat down and like playing on my computer and watching TV. I watched two seasons of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, but they're some of my favorite seasons, like the season five and six near the end of the run. So Angela Lansbury has, has more you know, like her contract negotiations. There's two or three episodes where she's barely in them at all. Where she's telling a story. Somebody else is, is, is in. Uh, and then there's like, a, they all kind of feel like backdoor pilots. Like they were like, let's try these characters out. And if people really like them, there'll be a spinoff series. And we can call it Murder, She Wrote Stories or something. Right, right. And but they also do in season five, they did so much more with silence and musical orchestration over scenes and not using words to fill the space. So I almost did an entire A side on the beauty of, of using silence and, and visuals instead of words to, to further a story. But that really felt more like a paper that I was going to write for college that I never wrote. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do that. Okay. But the other thing that I did on July 4th did sponsor or create the entire uh, A-side for today. Ooh, all right. All right. So if you're ready, we'll just roll right in because I know it's episode 142 and I Uh get to go first. Yeah. So the other thing that I did on the 4th of July, uh, the thing that I am hoping I will create as a annual tradition, I uh, was absolutely prompted by the fact that I was just sitting at home, watching TV, playing video games, doing a little bit of spreadsheet work, doing a little bit of research. And I stumbled upon someone posting that it was the anniversary of one of my favorite albums being released. So on July 4th of 1995, the Foo Fighters released their very first album the self-titled Foo Fighters album uh, that kind of came out of nowhere. And I have always, I've been a fan of the Foo Fighters. I've been a fan of Dave Grohl. I was a fan of Nirvana, but in the way that you can be when you are in your early teens and you're, you know, 1995, I was 14 years old. So I knew uh, I'd listened to Nirvana. I knew their music. I wasn't allowed to buy their stuff because at the time my you know, parents were restricting what certain types of music I was listening to, which is understandable for a 12, 13, 14 year old. Uh, I, you know, was not reading a lot of music magazines, certainly wasn't reading Rolling Stone as a 12, 13, 14 year old. Didn't know a lot about the background of Nirvana. I knew they were all from Seattle. I thought that they were all grew up as friends and they were young guys that kind of burst onto the scene. And then the fact that Dave Grohl was coming out with his own album seemed kind of natural. Uh-huh. I mean, a band, bands break up and the members go on and do other things. I mean, both when the Beatles broke up, you had every one of those, you know, it was John, Paul, George, and Ringo, all four of them had solo careers with hits, even Ringo. Not as many hits, uh, but, you know, they all had you know more music to put out. So it didn't shock me as a kid when I was 14 years old that the Foo Fighters were a thing. Dave Grohl was was 
a member of the band. Pat Smear had been uh, part of the of the Foo Fighter or part of Nirvana near the end. He was a little bit older, and so he was in the band. So it kind of just felt like this natural progression. And because it was the anniversary, and it's one of my favorite albums that I have on vinyl, I'm like, you know what? As part of a new July 4th tradition, I'm going to listen to the entire album front to back on vinyl, just sit in my apartment, turn off everything else. Uh, no TVs on, no you know, like computer in front of me, try to put my phone down. I mean, the fact that the other part of the third thing I did on July 4th was set up a computer and like fix three computers. So now I have another screen that is going to be two screens with a standing oh, desk in, in my living room. So I, I literally have way too many screens. So I was like, okay, because of all of these screens, I need to step away from the computer. I'm just going to listen to the album from front to back. I listened to the entire thing. Loved it as normal. Then I was like, you know what? There's so much I don't know about this. So I started to do a little bit of a deep dive. I'm like, how did this come around? And one of the the neat things about 25 years is it gives you an entire, you know, different perspective. Because now I'm, you know, my early 40s instead of my early teens uh, or my mid-teens. Uh, the record is now 28 years old as opposed to just 25 years old. Uh, I missed the 25th anniversary of my absolute favorite Foo Fighters album, The Color and the Shape, which was their second album, which came out in May, which I should have probably done some an ASOT on then. So I'm like, you know what? Today I'm going to do a deep dive, or at least a middle of the pool. It's not the shallow end. It's certainly not the deep end. Uh, of the background about how this album came to be, mm-hmm. a little bit that I didn't even realize about what was going on in Dave Grohl's life when he joined Nirvana and how he felt at the time when they became this huge success within a few months of him joining the band. And then also the thing that really got me is how unique it is that you have a musician who is the, you know, is the drummer in one band and then the guitarist and writer in another. A lot of the times you'll see, you know, lead singers will be the lead singer of two, three different bands. I mean, you, you had uh, uh, Sammy Hagar had his, did his own thing. Then he, he joined uh, Guns N' Roses, or he joined, uh wasn't Guns N' Roses. It was uh, Ben Halen. When David Lee Roth left, David Lee Roth had his own solo career, but they were all just singers or they were guitarists. Or it's, it's rare to see somebody go from from the drums. You had Peter Gabriel a little bit. Phil Collins, probably the most recognizable one who went from being a drummer and being the lead singer. And I was like, who else kind of contemporaries? What else was happening in the 90s, early 2000s? Was there anybody else that made this big transition? And there were a bunch of names that we'll get to at the end who are his contemporaries who've kind of done the same thing. It's a couple that I had kind of forgotten about how amazing their post, their second career or the, the second act of their music career has been. But first let's talk about Dave Grohl, and how the Foo Fighters even came to be. And on our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site, we will have links to two different interviews um, with Dave Grohl. One that was actually from 1995, when the album was being released, from uh, NME, which is, I believe, New Music England. It was this magazine that was huge back in the 90s and i loved it because you bought the magazine and it came with a cd of 20 new singles that were coming out that month mm-hmm. and it is how i discovered so many bands in the 90s that i still love today and those are some of my favorite cds just because of these compilation cds it was like somebody a professional giving you a mixtape of stuff they thought was cool which again kids mixtapes where you, you record things off the radio and you, you put them on a cassette tape a cassette tape so are silly I, like tiny tiny cds again going down a rabbit hole ask your parents about it uh but in 1995 when the foo fighters came out there were two there was a great article from any n m e and then there was another one that was just a few years ago uh from a website called wrnr both have a lot of interviews with dave Grohl that talk about how the Foo Fighters came to be and also talk about some of his experience with Nirvana. In fact, the WRNR.com uh, interview 
talks about the fact that when he joined Nirvana, he was actually the fifth drummer. I had no idea. So like both the Beatles and Nirvana, two, you know, touchstone, like huge acts of music kind of created waves through the entire world. Uh, had a hard time keeping the drummer. So he he joined, didn't know really anybody uh, in the band, got to know them. And then within months, so within six months, they became absolutely huge. And they were everywhere. And he's said for the first few years of even being in Nirvana, he was terrified that he was going to get fired. He was the fifth drummer. So they've done it before. Mm-hmm. So there's some, there's some uh, history here that they might fire the drummer. And he... This is just another, like a classic, uh, I think Elvis Costello was talking about, it was either Elvis Costello or somebody was talking about it being at a party with Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong was looking around being like, man, I really don't feel like I belong. And they were like, just to prove that like imposter syndrome can hit anybody because Dave Grohl was like, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. They're going to replace me Isn't anytime. It's funny to think big. that Dave Grohl thought that. Yeah. But I mean, he also seems to be one of the most like super humble and, dudes, and just like a really good guy. This is also uh, a dude that like got into a drum battle for fun with a ten year old who like completely admired him. So the fact yeah. that he would take his time to do that is just it's amazing. And then brought her on stage, like yeah. it's just so cool. And, and that's like that's happened dozens of times where he's brought people on stage. He's like. You know, he they they talk about the first one of the first shows that for food fighters had. They, they were debating on how they were going to deal with all the, the kids that were just jumping on stage and like moshing with them while they're trying to play. And they're like, we love the enthusiasm, but it's a whole lot different when I'm behind a drum set because nobody comes behind the drum set because, right. you know, they're, you know, you, you stay away. But you're up, you're the lead singer. You're pretty much like people are moshing into you. Like, mm-hmm. We debated whether or not we should, you know, we wanted it to happen or we didn't want it to happen. Uh, but the album and the band Foo Fighters was born completely out. And this is something that I wish that I had known, that had I had read when I was 15. But it was born out of Dave Grohl trying to process everything that happened around, you know, Kurt Cobain's death in 1994 and the end of Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And he was wondering, do I even want to make music what am i going to do with my life what's next this is a it's been an incredibly intense few years with nirvana this huge you know momentum and riding that wave and getting caught up on it and having you know losing you know somebody from the band and what is the band going to do and we're obviously we can't continue to be that and so he just as a way to deal with the trauma and the loss and the frustration and everything that he was feeling at the time. He said to himself, I've always enjoyed writing songs. So he wrote a bunch of stuff just on his own. He was just a drummer. Like nobody expected him to like do an album, but he made a mixtape and he recorded these a bunch of songs. He played everything on the first album. He played the drums, he played the bass, he sang, he was the guitarist, played everything. Records this tape, and gives it to a bunch of friends thinking, you know, this is just, is my process how I'm dealing with the grief, how I'm dealing with the, you know, this major life event that's happened. And because it was so good, he actually uh, gave it to a friend who was in radio who played it for, at a dinner party for some friends who are were radio executives. And in the middle of the dinner party, much like, you know, and this, this is all, you know, online stuff. So it, it's hard to know what is true and what's, you know, like stories after the fact. Uh, whether they called during the dinner party or he was called the next day or, you know, the record company reached out to him. But basically they're like, hey, we want to put out your stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And he, at that point, Dave Roll says he, he hadn't even really thought about making it a thing. Like he was just doing it to get through uh, what, you know, his process of you know dealing with everything that happened to him in the past few years. So the album came out of his grief in his process and his working on himself basically to mm-hmm. use it to um, use a more modern term and that is why i think it is foo fighters themselves have had you know 20 30 years of hits uh 30 years of success he's become they've become you know a cultural 
thing. I mean, from the fact that he like broke his leg and then brought out a, a throne and sat on a throne in Washington, D.C. and played mm-hmm. the rest of the concert with a broken leg. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, like you said, he brings people up on the stage all the time and how like he just seems like a really good dude. Uh, but the thing about the album that is mentioned in a lot of the reviews is that in an era where you were just coming out of the grunge darkness, where grunge was about anger and pain and angst, and that was rock at the time. And then you, you the late 90s and early 2000s, you got into the 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 angry like rap rock which then like eventually showed more emotion as well but it was different in that this was an entire album that inexplicably after everything that he had just been through the height of nirvana the depth of the band you know ceasing to exist with Kurt Cobain's death and everything that goes along with that fall from grace that happened is that it's hopeful it's the melodies are energetic and lively and fun. Mm-hmm. And the and the thing that whenever you hear a Foo Fighters song, there is that element of fun. That they are having a good time doing what they're doing. And you, and everybody remembers the the Learn to Fly video where they're all, you know, dressed up in dressed in drag at the time, which evidently wouldn't fly now. Or the the, uh, the the spoof video of the Mentos commercials. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's big the one me, there in the swimming was, pool? I think that was the big we big me one maybe. I okay. but their their videos were like really fun. Like all of them were fun. It was it was this cathartic thing that rock music needed at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. And it was only more perfect when it came from somebody that was least expected. Someone who, and I never knew this was what people called him in the nineties because I wasn't, there was no, you know, message boards or Twitter, but I guess at one point he was called the grunge Ringo. Really? Yeah. That people were like, Oh, well, this is just the fifth, the fifth uh, guy who's been the drummer. He doesn't really bring anything to the band. He's, you know, he's just kind of like, he's not as good as everybody else. Uh, and which is funny because even Ringo has gone on to prove that's not right right exactly yeah he definitely has so it's uh, it is an incredible album if you haven't listened to it in in a while I highly recommend like isolating yourself and taking some time to just sit down and listen uh to and with that new understanding that this is a cathartic thing not only for rock music as a whole but for Dave Grohl himself going through, this was his part of his process, something that's never complete grieving and dealing with trauma and dealing with, you know, he was, you know, his early twenties when all of this happened. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to deal with stuff that happened last week, let alone, you know, when I was in my twenties. So it's an, it's an amazing fun album. Highly recommend listening to it again. And it does bring up the fact that Dave Grohl, was pretty unique in having two bands where he plays vastly different roles. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I was looking for some contemporaries who, who may have gone through the same sort of thing. And the first name that came to mind was that same grunge Seattle era. It's Chris Cornell, uh, who was the lead singer of Soundgarden. Uh, then he was also in the this great collaboration with about half of uh, the Pearl Jam crew called Temple of the Dog. Mm-hmm. I think there's also some members of Alice in Chains and that. Uh, and then he would go on to have his own, another band called Audio Slave and have a, a lot of success. But in all of that, he was this singular voice. He was always the singer. He wasn't changing the way that he was doing music. Still huge success. Mm-hmm. But the two that, that the, the one that caught me the most that seems similar, uh, the two really, one more so than the other. Uh, one was Damon Albarn, who was the lead singer and you know, creative force behind the British, like Brit pop punk band Blur, which everyone you would know their their song too. Is that woohoo? No, we can't sing anymore. We'll get sued. Uh, but everyone knows that song. He would then go on to found almost this art piece that was not supposed to work, but 
the band Gorillas, which only appear as cartoons. And they play, even in live events, they've played... It was way more successful the, than Blur. Yeah, way more successful than Blur, than Blur uh, especially in the U.S. And they are still doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a very big change, trying to do something very different. But he was still the lead singer. He was still the creative force. So it was just kind of him, the chef, making two different types of dishes instead of going from being the busboy to being the chef. Uh, the only one that I think really connects in the same way is the one that I always forget about, that this man has won an Oscar. So in the late 90s, when you've got grunge, and I talked about we kind of went into this, the late 90s after alternative and grunge is, is fading. We had we had rap metal, and we also had this just really aggressive, more classic deep metal heavy metal style and one of the bands at the time that uh came along was called tool and then tool had a spinoff that was the same kind of the same thing where it was the lead singer but another rock band called the perfect circle so you've got maynard james keenan who is the lead singer of both bands the creative force behind two both of them and so he seems a lot more comparable to damon album at the time what I always forget about is the second or third act of his career. Now that he's done with, you know, he's not doing Tool anymore. He's not touring with Perfect Circle, but he still wants to make music. Maynard James Keenan has become a Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning composer. He won for The Social Network, the movie about Facebook a few years ago. He has had uh, a whole bunch of... Uh, trying to remember if I'm, I'm doing this right because there's also oh, I'm confusing the two so Maynard James Keenan had Tool and A Perfect Circle Okay. Trent Reznor I always get these guys confused he was the one who had Nine Inch Nails and then was on one Academy Award with the social network for some reason in my brain they are the same dude it all happened in the late 90s they've had very diverging careers and i was told this one like uh probably like made up story about one of them joined either nine inch nails or tool i think it was major james keenan joined tool because tool was playing at a, at a club one night and they had a fight with their lead singer and he quit the band and they were arguing in the alleyway and they could hear this guy and his girlfriend having a fight, screaming at each other upstairs across the street. And so they went across the street and said, hey, you've got a really great voice. Would you join the band? I think that's completely made up. But because of that, I was confused the two. That was Maynard James, James Keaton, who had the two. He had two tool and a perfect circle. Trent Reznor had Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. and is the creator of the award-winning sound for the social network okay. and other soundtracks as well. So I got them a little confused there. So I hope I hope that I've explained it a little bit better than I did the first time. But uh, contemporaries to Dave Grohl, Chris Cornell, singer, singer, Damon Albon, singer, singer, cartoon, singer, Manor James Keener, singer, singer. And then Trent Reznor is the one who had the biggest change in how he created his music going from Nine Inch Nails to now being an Oscar award winning composer. Uh, it'd be like if you told me that like John Williams was in like a punk band in the fifties. It would absolutely blow me that? away. I I I'm, I wouldn't even be shocked at this point. <laughs> I mean, everybody forgets that Danny Elfman was in a pop band in the eighties. So I mean, it makes boingo, sense. Boingo, boingo. Yeah, he's had way more success as a composer uh, than he did as uh, as a member of Boingo Boingo. Not that there's anything wrong with it. So those are four contemporaries of Dave Roll that have had similar success with multiple groups. Uh, Trent Reznor being the one who probably had the biggest change between how he created music. Uh, but Dave Roll still, in my opinion, is a very unique individual. And I really hope that there's one thing that you do today, whether it's listen to their uh, album from, 2000, or from 1995 that came out on July 4th, the self-titled debut album, or Go to our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site and read the interviews with Dave Grohl. Both the one they're talking about when, when Foo Fighters was first starting out and especially the interview where he talks about uh, with WRNR.com where he talks about how Foo Fighters even came to be. Because just reading 
the interview with him is eye-opening and definitely worth your time. So today's A-Side is a celebration of artists that do more than one thing and also Dave Grohl. All right. I'm never opposed to celebrating Dave Grohl because he is an awesome human. It's sort of it like it's almost gotten to a level where you know, like they ever has Chuck Norris jokes mm-hmm. or you know, like the, the Keanu Reeves stories. Like when people tell me like a heartwarming story story about Dave Grohl, I immediately believe it. You immediately what? Be- believe it. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, absolutely, yes, of course. They were on the way to a concert. They saw a busload of nuns that was on, on the side of the street. So he stopped to help them change a tire. And then the nuns came to the concert. It was the best time. Yeah, they rocked out. Yeah, that, that is that it's a very uh, popular weird. story right there. The, the worst part <laughs> is they were under a valve silence. So they couldn't even scream. There was just a lot of like, you know, like silent scream. <laughs> but not like that. Oh, man. All right. So is that the A side? That is the A side. <laughs> All right. Well... We're going to go from 25 years of spotlight to 60 years of shadows and darkness. Actually, Ooh, more like 65. Nice yep. segue. Thank you. Segue. Thank you. So this case that we're going to talk about this week on the B side is probably one of the oldest cold cases ever that's been solved by DNA evidence. So, of course, you know, DNA evidence um, and solving crimes really like it exploded um with the golden state killer um uh what's his name joseph or what is his name joseph um d'angelo it's, it's not john francis daly i can tell you that no it's not john francis daly <laughs> it's uh joseph james d'angelo the golden state killer so it was in um 2008 and it was actually due to the very origins of podcasts and um Patton oswald's uh first wife she passed away Mm -hmm. um michelle mcnamara she actually had a a podcast where she was tracking the golden state killer and it was due to her and then i guess the advances of genetic dna testing and and like you know using like 23 and me and all that and Mm -hmm. and tracking uh suspects through family members is how like DNA evidence has really kind of exploded in solving cases. Um, The Golden State Killer, by the time they found him, he was an old, decrepit monster because he's still always going to be a monster. And Mm -hmm. um, he was, uh, what, convicted of 13 murders and nearly 15 rapes in California between the 1970s and 80s. So it was really the first high-profile case to be cracked with genetic genealogy, you know, the mapping the DNA through family members. So... This case is probably one of the oldest from 1956. In January of 1956, there's three young boys who are, they're out in Montana. They're going for a hike. It's a normal day in January for them. And they stumble upon this grisly scene. They found the body of um, Lloyd Duane Bogle. He was face down. He had been shot in the back of the head. His hands had been tied behind his back with his own belt. He was found close to his car. The ignition switch, the radio, and headlights were still on, and the car was actually in gear. They didn't suspect it to be a robbery once the authorities arrived because there was a very expensive camera that he had in the car that had not been stolen. And, well, the car was still there as well. Right. So with the... Uh, discovery of uh, Lloyd Duane, of course, now where is Patricia? Because they had last been seen together and she's right. missing. And they had assumed they had low, excuse me, let me back up. Now, Patricia was a junior at Great Falls High School and she had met Lloyd Duane Bogle, uh, who was an airman from Waco, Texas, and stationed nearby at Maelstrom Air Force Base. The two of them met in December of 1955, and they were instantly smitten with each other, um, especially with him with her. And like so smitten that it was just, they were already talking about marriage and things like that in just like a matter of weeks, really. So uh, Patricia and Lloyd Duane were last seen at Peach Drive-In in in Great Falls. It was just after nine o'clock on January 2nd, 1956. They didn't come home that night. 
and they had been talking about marriage because they were so smitten with each other when they didn't come home their families kind of thought okay well maybe they've gone off and eloped well now that they found lloyd duane obviously they didn't elope so now the fear is that patricia has been kidnapped well a day later on january 4th of 1956 there was a country road worker out doing his job and well he found the body of patricia klitsky about five miles um away from great falls she just like lloyd duane unfortunately had been shot in the head and hands had been tied behind her back and it looked like she had put up uh, a, a a pretty good struggle and unfortunately she had been assaulted so the deaths of uh, Lloyd Duane and Patricia became known as uh, the Lover's Lane slaying victims. So the search is on, the search is on for, um, you know, suspects. So over the next, well, many, many years, like half a century to begin with, there's like 35 potential suspects, including James Whitey Bulger, you know, the notorious uh, mobster from south boston yeah I, when i lived in boston his brother was the president of the uh umass boston at the time i was like that's very strange oh yeah he was still he was still on the lamp oh yeah well he was convicted in 2013 of participating in 11 murders uh whitey passed away in 2018 he had actually lived in great falls in the 50s and had been arrested uh in 1951 on a rape there no one was ever charged but it, it uh, he was arrested, but not convicted. Turned out it wasn't Whitey. He, they couldn't tie him to the case. So no one was ever charged. The case went cold. Well, in 2001, some DNA had been sent to the crime lab for analysis, but it didn't lead to any matches. That's because there was a new person on the case, a sergeant, um, a, a detective sergeant, John Cadner, had been added to the Cascade County Sheriff's Office. And he was told um, that he was going to be put in charge of the investigation. So before he jumps on in 2012 and 2001, there's um, the, the DNA had been sent to the lab for analysis, but it didn't lead to any matches in the database. Then in 2012, Detective Sergeant Kander joins the case. You know, he's digging deep and deep and deep. Then in 2019, with the help of a Virginia company called Bow Technology, they specialize in DNA analysis. Another DNA profile was extracted from the sample um, that they got from the victims. And that profile actually led Detective Sergeant Cadner to like a, I guess you'd call it a ping. I don't know. It led him to the family tree of um, a Kenneth Gould. Okay. So there was, there was some DNA evidence that pointed him in that direction uh-huh uh-huh so now they have you know the cna evidence pointing them into uh the direction of kenneth gould well the problem is gould passed away in uh 2007 so it's not like they could be like hey kenneth give us your dna so yeah what, they had to... we have some questions right so they had to trace it through uh his family and he'd actually been cremated so it's not like they i don't know if they could have done anything from 2007 with a uh, oh goodness what is it called when you dig it up yeah, a uh exhume the body right so i don't even if they had exhumed his body i don't know if you know because it, it's you know 2019 uh, in 2007 he passes away i don't know how much evidence would have been left but anyway he'd been cremated so what they had to do was they collected dna from his children which linked him because of a sperm cell that had been found on Patricia Klitsky's body. So Kenneth was 29 years old in 1956, and he lived just about a a mile away from Patricia's house. And he was a horse trainer, so he kept horses about 600 yards from the house where Patricia had grown up. Now he's 29. He's married. Uh, His wife was 16 years old at the time when they married. In 1952, and they went on to have five children, which in the 50s, I guess, was not really that big of a deal. No, not really. So after the murders of Patricia Klitsky and Dwayne Lloyd Bogle, he leaves the area and uh, 
He's seen living in two other Montana towns before moving to Alton, Missouri in 1967. After that, apparently he and his family never really returned to Montana, not even to visit family. Kenneth Gould had no known criminal history, and it's not even known what the connection between Kenneth Gould, Patricia Klitsky, and Dwayne Lloyd Bogle is. He died in 2007 at the age of 79 in Oregon County, Missouri. When talking about the case, Detective Sergeant Kadner says, obviously I can't put the gun in his hand, but when you put everything together, there's no doubt in my mind that he's a suspect. Uh, Kenneth Gould's uh, children, three of whom actually submitted DNA samples, were all completely surprised to be told that their father was being investigated in connection to a double homicide from 1956. His daughter was basically like, you know, you just never know. Some people just have secrets that they've never told anybody. Unfortunately, Patricia Klitsky's sister um, has advanced dementia. So even, you know, being told about the the closing of the case, it's it's yeah, may not may not get through. Probably not gonna register. Um Dwayne Lloyd Bogle's family said they've contended with crazy stories about what could have happened, including rumors that Dwayne Lloyd was probably mixed up in the mob, uh, which there's obviously no connections there whatsoever. But right, said, but any, any mystery, some, some guy's going to be like, oh, you know, it might be the mob. Right, right. It's usually but me. But. Now that authorities, <laughs> now that authorities have a suspect, they say, it conclusively allows us to stop wondering. Um, Dwayne Lloyd's family, uh, Karen Bogle McCarthy, who was his niece, that was um, Dwayne's brother, James, was um, Dwayne's younger sister, excuse me, James was Dwayne's younger brother, and Karen is James's daughter. So Karen says that, um, she says that the resolution has reopened pain from that era era particularly for an older generation that knew her uncle she says the one that everybody in my family loved she said that her aunt had been in tears all week her father who had passed in 2013 had idolized his brother Dwayne as a boy and she says it feels like it just happened yesterday so if I was asked uh is this great modern technology a great thing I would say yes for my generation but a generation once removed is my generation. She said it definitely does reopen old wounds that have had the chance to crust over. But yeah. all in all, they are happy that this case has been solved and that the murder of a cold case, a double murder from 65 years ago has finally been solved. Have Have you ever given, like done the 23 Me or any of that? No, I keep saying I'm going to. I just haven't yet. And I don't know yeah, why I, I haven't. I mean, I don't know. I guess I've had the, like, I've done it for my dog. And it just seemed very vague. You know, it's like, they didn't really, like, doing genealogy, like, seems to be a little bit more, gives you more of a story, gives you more of, like, you know, names and places and people that, that have been, as opposed to, like, this just kind of like, ah, you're, like, 15% this. Yeah. I mean, would it be cool to see if there's any relatives out there that I, like long lost cousins or, you know, whatever? Yeah, but yeah. At the same time, I haven't known him this long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like probably not gonna not gonna change the day to day. Right. I mean, who knows? My dad with my dad, I might have some siblings out there. I don't know about, but again, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't known him this long. So yeah, I mean that that is something you hear about where people like find out that they've got. You know, extended family they didn't know about uh and i guess that there's the nice part about this story is that there's some closure so i understand that finding family you might not know about it would be some closure too so let's see there it seems like there's some some benefit too yeah there you go that i know you like a nice neatly wrapped up in a bow case so there you go adam i do i do that make, that makes me happy also makes me even even more hesitant to to give my dna because I know what I did. I don't know what the rest of my family did. <laughs> now, now, like 60, 70 years ago, uh, we're getting a couple generations removed there. So who knows? Hmm. There you go. That's the B-side. Uh, so again, you can check out our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. On there, we will have links to all of our source information 
Uh, you can check out uh, more information about uh, Brooke's story, as well as the, the Dave Grohl interviews that I mentioned. You could buy us uh, a coffee because Brooke has to edit all this together. And that takes a lot of caffeine. And since she's been doing like the Bizarro World thing for four days, she's probably extra tired. <laughs> so the yeah. coffee will definitely come in handy. Uh, we've got merchandise on there. You can get all of our uh, resources to get to all of our episodes. So 142 episodes now. They're all on there. Uh, one of the fun things is every week, you know, if you, I because I love looking at box scores, we'll check the website, see who's been listening to what. And it always, you know, like, tickles me that like there'll be people who've listened to the new episode but then somebody you know clearly started listening the last week and they so we see like episode one two three four or five so it's great to see people uh listening to all sorts of episodes you can get to any of them on our uh, website and of course you can subscribe and listen to us at all of your favorite streaming sites and if you don't want to switch streaming sites you can like and subscribe to those others and help us out so thank you very much Brooke. so thank you adam that's 142. Thanks.